Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast. I'm Steve Baldwin. In this episode, we took the podcast on the road to cover a special event that took place on April 6th as part of Public Health Week to acknowledge the department's work on reducing violence in LA County. Since 2016, the department's Office of Violence Prevention has championed the Trauma Prevention Initiative, investing in community-led safety by hiring local peacemakers, building meaningful partnerships with community, and creating safe spaces with community hubs like parks to help communities heal and thrive. And the event on April 6th was held at a park, Mona Park in Willowbrook, in fact. It was a beautiful, warm day as we set up for interviews in the community center there, including L.A. County Board of Supervisors Chair Holly Mitchell, whom I accidentally called Senator Mitchell at one point, embarrassing, our own Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Parks and Recreation Department Director Norma E. Garcia, community organizer Kevin Orange, a.k.a. Twin, and friend and colleague Andrea Welsing with the Office of Violence Prevention. The thread that runs through every one of these conversations and that ran through the event itself that day is the importance of partnerships. I was struck by how frequently partnerships were mentioned as the key to the success of the work, the secret sauce that makes our work, really all public health work, move forward. No matter how committed our staff is or how much time we spend planning, the reality is community partnerships make community work real and meaningful and lasting. The conversation began with our department's director, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, and Parks and Recreation Director, Norma E. Garcia, and I asked Dr. Ferrer to talk about the event and to share what she appreciates most about Public Health Week. You know, the best thing about Public Health Week is that we have an opportunity to highlight what the work is of public health. Sometimes I think, you know, we can get very focused on what a public health department does, but the truth about public health is, like, we don't do anything by ourselves. So if we're going to highlight anything during Public Health Week, it's we're going to highlight the importance of these partnerships. And I think today's an excellent example of how powerful those partnerships are. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're here today really talking about what's an approach that allows us to build peace across our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do we help people heal from the trauma and violence that they've experienced as we think about that work, it's, it's not about a program. It's really about a, an approach and a belief. The belief is that, you know, in order to build peace, you have to be able to have a community-driven process that actually allows people who live in our neighborhoods to come together and talk about what their needs are, what their concerns are, and how they want to approach efforts to actually address the collective trauma and the individual trauma that so many of us have experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, trauma is linked intimately to violence. You know, many of us would say that uh, when we think about the fact that violence is preventable and predictable, we think about the link that violence has to trauma. And that, in fact, oftentimes people who have experienced trauma are most likely to use violence Uh, later on as a way to solve a problem. And we also know that if you've experienced violence, you're traumatized. So that uh, link is super important for us to recognize. You know, we're we're not born uh, violent people. I know some people would disagree with me, but I think the truth is none of us 
are born to behave in violent ways. We often mm -hmm. have experiences in our lives that lead us to thinking of using violence in its many forms as a way to actually cope with a situation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a learned behavior, and that means for those of us who maybe have come up using violence or violent strategies to resolve issues, we can also unlearn those strategies if we're given time to acknowledge the trauma we've experienced and to be able to heal from that. So I think what, what we're doing here in this park and, and with absolutely with, with uh, Norma Garcia and her team is creating opportunities to use the parks as places where people can come together and heal. And with community residents here, uh, we've created an approach that actually has many aspects to it, including hiring people who live in this community mm. to be peace builders, including creating councils that actually then direct the activities of efforts to actually uh, address trauma and prevent violence. Thank you so much. It's so inspiring to hear both of you speak before we sat down from the podium and talk about the partnerships. And Norma, before we sat down, we were talking briefly, just informally, and you said, really, it's all about these partnerships. And so I, I love that, Barbara, you started with that. That's the reason we're, we can be successful. We have a chance to be successful is about these partnerships. And Norma, can you talk a little bit about how your department and the LA County Department of Public Health are working together to promote equity, community healing and safety across the county? Absolutely. First, I just want to say I'm so honored and grateful for this professional relationship but partnership to doing, you know, really transformative healing and equity work throughout Los Angeles County. And for LA County Parks, we really partnered with public health as they led the work to talk about health equity and the lack of park spaces and how that impacts specifically communities of color. That was really our, I think, one of the strongest partnership that we really mapped out in Los Angeles County, mm -hmm. communities that had an abundance of park space and those that didn't, and saw strong correlations with health disparities, violence, as well as, you know, race. And that became, that seminal study in regards to our park needs assessment mm -hmm. really was our North Star to think about park equity. Further, I think the partnership is really to, you know, our partnership has grown to think about how parks are restorative and healing spaces mm -hmm. for communities that have suffered, you know, decades and systemic trauma and racism. To also think about how parks in partnership with public health, uh, the Trauma Prevention Initiative, the Office of Violence Prevention, and even how we invest and work in collaboration with communities to support communities as they heal, build their leadership. And so there's so many aspects of our collaboration that go to really building parks and communities that have no park space, to really thinking about programming that support trauma-informed healing, as well as really bringing the community together to be safekeepers of our communities. Thank you. And I, I'm going to bounce it back to Barbara, because I'm wondering, Barbara, if you can share, well, Norma mentioned the Trauma Prevention Initiative and the Office of Violence Prevention. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the public health approach to violence prevention and share about the Office of Violence Prevention and the great things that are going on. It's such a, a great opportunity uh, today for us to really understand that 
we need to, to shift our thinking around violence. Um, first of all, we do a lot of blaming and we do a lot of labeling. People are victims, people are perpetrators, forgetting that in fact many perpetrators at some point were victims. And many victims, if we're not careful, can become perpetrators. Public health allows us to acknowledge the most important thing we can do around violence is prevent it. And in order to prevent it, you've got to really address uh, the root causes that contribute to high rates of violence. And I'm talking about all forms of violence. Let's acknowledge that we're talking about violence that sometimes is perpetuated by a partner, a domestic partner, a person in your household, a person you have a relationship with. Violence can also be perpetuated by people in power. You know, we've seen that certainly around our law enforcement, that in fact many people can experience violence as a hand at the hands of other people who are in power. We've seen people obviously treat each other violently as they are struggling to manage their emotions and other people's emotions. We've seen certainly what we call somewhat incorrectly gang violence. Mm. And, and we've also, you know, have to acknowledge for much of the violence that people experience, it can be hidden. So the job of, of people in public health is to lift up these root causes and to acknowledge as people experience trauma, as people are marginalized, as people are treated with disrespect, people will get angry appropriately. And the work of public health is to make sure that we all have some tools to manage our feelings, to manage our anger, mm. that actually are productive and don't inflict harm on others or ourselves. You know, people who've experienced a lot of violence often also can treat themselves poorly and become depressed, at the extreme become suicidal. So we have to be very careful that we acknowledge that as good public health practitioners, we want to understand that the root causes of this is our inability to have learned a set of tools that allow us to live with each other peacefully, uh, understand our differences, resolve our conflicts without resorting to violence. So I say that because that allows us to think about how we teach those skills. I'm a big believer in social and emotional learning and school curriculums. I'm a big believer in bringing parents together so that they can really hone their skills around respect and parenting. I'm a big believer in what we just witnessed today is allowing community folks to come together and chart a course that both acknowledges we've got to do some healing and then we've got to come up with strategies Mm -hmm. that actually reduce this tendency that we've learned over time about uh, resorting to hurting people uh, when we're upset, when we're angry, when we can't get resolution. I think we also have to be very honest to acknowledge the violence of racism mm -hmm. and the violence of systems of oppression as a source of ongoing trauma. And I say that because often uh, when you're talking uh, in the trauma world, you hear a lot about an emphasis on we're going we're gonna to help people become resilient. And I think that's, that's a little bit wrong uh, because it tends to imply that when bad things keep happening, we're going to teach you coping skills. And I think when bad things keep happening, we have to stop bad things from happening. 
So it's not necessarily an either or, but I believe firmly that we don't spend enough time trying to stop injustice mm. so that, in fact, we don't have so many hurt people who end up hurting other people. Mm-hmm. It's the upstream approach, working to prevent mm-hmm. the issue from happening in the first place, right? It's Absolutely. very logical. I wonder, Norma, if you can share a little bit about how some of the partnershiping sort of takes shape. For example, the Parks After Dark program. Can you share a little bit about that program and, and sort of what that looks like in the parks? Parks After Dark is a signature program with proven results that when we activate the community in, in regards to programming, working with the community hand-in-hand hand to develop programming, hiring from the local community, working with our community-based organizations, and providing programming and spaces where families can come together with their social cohesion in a safe environment. And there's opportunity for fun and joy. And sometimes, you know, we undervalue how critical it is in communities to feel, experience joy and fun with loved ones, with family members, among teenagers, and among community. And so... Parks After Dark really activates our parks during summer months when it is much hotter, when we Mm. know that we actually do have spikes of crime and violence that happens. And we create these havens for, you know, and and spaces where community can come together and, and enjoy a myriad of recreational programming, as well as access services. We have been partners with public health to create this really live and dynamic programming um, in our parks. That's amazing. Are there other programs that you would like to share? I mean, certainly don't mean to limit to Parks After Dark. I know you guys do a lot of things. You were talking about swimming, for example, the, the awesome program you have here. And I will, you know, a partnership uh, with the Department of Public Health is mm-hmm. R-Spot Programming. Mm-hmm. Um, R-Spot is social places and opportunities for teens but is really creating a nurturing and supportive environment Mm. for teenagers, a safe environment for expression. And we work with youth to provide a myriad of really dynamic programming that youth would not have access to because it is really costly. And as simple Mm. as we do uh, circles where we're teaching, you know, youth how to play the guitar, and how to express themselves. And what we're seeing is really creative ways of expression, but youth really connecting their emotions to, to you know, musically. And so very dynamic programming, but I think what I really value is that the Department of Public Health has invested in helping to train and expand the knowledge base of our recreation staff to be trauma-informed, restorative justice, how to create safe environments for youth, how to listen to youth, and also how to listen and help allow the youth to guide its programming. And so a lot of that training, that specialized training, where we're bringing best practices has come because of the partnership with public health. The last question I, and Barbara, I'll ask this of you and then maybe Norma, what have you learned through this partnership and sort of what keeps you going, Barbara? You know, it's, it's so important to acknowledge that the partnership in and of itself allows us to come together in fellowship. So, <laughs> so I don't want to minimize 
you know, how exciting that is. You know, sometimes the social isolation, particularly that we've just experienced over the last two years, really makes you appreciate the nuances of the partnerships, which is, you know, our ability to actually uh, be able to talk to people who, who may not share the same experiences or the perspectives that we come to the work with, but it's joyful to actually have opportunities to learn from each other. So I want to say, you know, in that coming together, we get this opportunity to learn from each other. And I've always benefited tremendously from that opportunity to, mm -hmm. to get the wise counsel, to hear other perspectives, to understand better how other people are experiencing a moment or a program or a service. I think the other thing that I've learned in particular through this partnership, the Parks and Rec Department uh, has three things that I think are essential to building healthy communities. They've got this immediate focus on creating opportunities for people who live in our, our communities and in some of our sort of under-resourced communities. They have this opportunity to make sure that everybody is going to have access to something we all need, which are safe places, healing places, where people can come and be close to nature. Mm -hmm. And the folks who are working at the Parks Department, because of that, have these very powerful connections to residents all across L.A. County. So sometimes I think the wisdom of the staff that are actually working very closely with residents who we're all supposed to be in service of is neglected. And, and in fact, the parks has hundreds and hundreds of staff that know intimately what some of the biggest issues are that are happening in our communities. And they also know intimately who are people in our communities that are working for change. So I, I, we have learned that through this partnership. I don't think we had any mm. idea. I, I think for some people, when they think of a parks and rec department, they think of recreational programs, one thing, and then they think of like parks maintenance. I don't think they appreciate how much relationship building and how much trust the park staff have built with community residents mm. and how essential those relationships and are going to be to anything we're going to try to do for transformational change, for change that's actually going to make a difference. I think the second thing that we've got, uh, and I want to give Norma credit for this because I think it, it, it has to happen with leadership, is this deep commitment to equity. I, I don't think you can take that for granted. I don't think everybody walks into their work uh, really understanding that the job at the Parks Department right now is to actually look at this resource in our parks and figure out how to get it more equitably distributed mm -hmm. so that uh, it's not uh, where you live that determines whether or not you're going to have access to these opportunities. Because if there weren't parks there, Norma and her team are creating opportunities both for parks and the kinds of programming and services that go along with those parks. So I think having leadership there that insists that we look at this through an equity lens has been a blessing with this partnership. I think the third thing is that we've had an opportunity to problem solve together. <laughs> you know, I think Norma comes at this work with, I need to build safety in the parks so that 
people will feel comfortable using the parks. And we come at this in uh, acknowledging that safety cannot happen in the absence of us addressing issues related to trauma uh, and violence. So I think this has been like an exemplary partnership because we've each had a need. We have the mm -hmm. need to actually be able to make sure that this work is real and happens in places where people can come together uh, and heal. And the Parks Department, under this amazing leadership mm. that Norma has brought, has really enabled us, because they have these resources, to use those resources to help us create these spaces where healing is actually going to happen mm. and where people are actually going to build these powerful public safety systems that are rooted in the very word public. Beautiful. Thank you, Barbara. You said it so eloquently. <laughs> so eloquently. Well, maybe we can just end on that. Norma, what have you learned by participating in this partnership with the Department of Public Health? Our department has really evolved. I think that the partnership with the Department of Public Health, I think Barbara's leadership, her staff's deep commitment to value the work that our frontline staff do every day to nurture communities, has been really critical for us, but has also helped us to go deeper in the work of parks and recreation. I think if you would ask a staff a couple of years ago, you know, what is it we do? We're like, we're the Department of Fun. <laughs> we now see ourselves at the focal center point of community life. Mm -hmm. And when we know that, we know park space are so critical for the well-being of our community. As soon as you walk into green space, there's this healing that's happened. There's this joy that happens. It's almost like the stress goes away. And when our families don't have access to those green spaces or our green spaces are unsafe, you know, we have to go beyond offering the programming. But I think this partnership with public health has deepened the work to also be a you know, solution and help to have those courageous conversations with the communities mm -hmm. and help to participate in those community-driven solutions. And for example, we were talking about you know, working with our interventionist and helping and looking at parks as a way to hire from the local community and also in a partnership with public health and valuing the frontline work of park and recreation staff. We're partnering to do a pilot project, a pilot program, that all our frontline recreation staff will be trained to be trauma-informed. To think about that we are now going to engage in this work that is about trauma healing and trauma understanding through the lens and work of parks and recreation. But I want to just give you an example of that. Mm. So when we have a sports program like a baseball or softball program, to deliver that program through a trauma-informed lens and thinking about positive youth development, thinking about and understanding and having awareness of the trauma that children have because of the violence that happens in their community, and thinking about the words we use, the support we provide. And so that, for us, is deepening the work of Parks and Recreation, where we're really helping to understand where we understand and are going deeper in this work of providing program and services for the community. 
Well, thank you for everything you and your department are doing. We're so thrilled to partner with you. And, and thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am here with a member of the LA County Board of Supervisors, Holly Mitchell. Thank you so much for joining the LA Public Health Podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Such a pleasure to have you, Thank uh, you. Supervisor Mitchell. Particularly this week, which is, you know, Public Health Week. We are celebrating public health this week, and what a better place to do it at this beautiful setting in this park in the Willowbrook area. Supervisor Mitchell, the, the LA County Board of Supervisors established the Countywide Office of Violence Prevention within the Department of Public Health in February of 2019. Can you tell us about why this work is so important? Well, you know, my interest in joining the Board of Supervisors was because of their visionary leadership on, on things just like this. Of course, they established the office before I joined the board. But, you know, I uh, served in the California legislature for 10 years during a time where we really began to operationalize this core belief that trauma and violence is indeed a public health issue. I remember and was working in and around policymaking um, when we were working hard to try to make that argument mm. to help members of the community and researchers and law enforcement connect those dots. Mm. And so I think the fact that LA County has created this office allows for really important coordination between departments. You know, government can be mm -hmm. so siloed. So this office allows public health and mental health, parks and rec, all to come together, share support, resources, ideas to really figure out how we begin addressing these issues from a place-based response, mm. acknowledging it in communities where people are in a meaningful way. So I'm proud that the county had that vision, and that's why I think it's so important. Can you share some of the ways that L.A. County is transforming violence prevention and uh, public safety? Well, you know, I proudly represent the second supervisorial district mm -hmm. uh, and acknowledge that my district has experienced, quite frankly, a disproportionate level of, of trauma and, and hurt, quite frankly. And so we know that there are cycles of violence that continue to perpetuate multi-generation cycles of violence. Mm -hmm. And so breaking the cycle is really important to address the root cause. You know, on my way here, I passed by Martin Luther King Community Hospital and I've watched the transformation of that entire campus. And its leader, Dr. Elaine Batchelor, talks about, you know, by the time people present in her ER, it's almost too late, right? Mm -hmm. That we've not done a good enough job of creating preventive services across the second district, across South Los Angeles. And when I say preventive services, it's really organic, everything from job training to, to safe pathways for kids at school, to healthier food options, to job to career pathways, all the things that contribute to far too many people in the community living in poverty. And we know what role poverty plays in exacerbating violence, right? right. And so making sure that we call all that out in an honest, direct way, what role systemic racism, sexism, classism, all the isms play in leaving neighborhoods and communities behind? Mm -hmm. And when neighborhoods and communities feel left behind, I think that can often be a trigger for violence. 
You know, you mentioned the disproportionate impact of negative health consequences in the South LA area and in your district. And certainly we've seen the same thing with COVID Mm -hmm. in South LA. We've actually seen an increase in violence during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. How is the board working to address that? Well, you know, as you said, you know, COVID-19 all over the world has really shown a light on communities that for far too long have been under-resourced, underserved. As um, former secretary at the state level, Yolanda Richardson uh, used this term that I adopted immediately, you know, hardly reached communities, not hard to reach communities, but hardly reached communities, Mm -hmm. communities that we in government have not always been consistently successful in terms of meeting them where they are and identifying those needs. So I think it's important that we look at and redefine safety through an equity and health-focused lens, Mm -hmm. the Office of Violence Prevention's model of care first, trauma-informed, healing-centered efforts is really an important way of looking at systems that lead to violence and unequal health, health outcomes. You know, the office has channeled these efforts into really a coordinated and sensitive response that really honors everyone in the community and involves them also in promoting healing both at the personal and community level. You talked a little bit about, aside from the pandemic, that South LA has been disproportionately impacted by violence for many years. What do you think is the driving force behind that in this community? The driving force behind the community wanting a different outcome for themselves? Well, behind the violence that, that has impacted South LA for so many years. You know, I think I talked just a moment about all the isms and the fact that there are Mm. neighborhoods that have been left behind. My father would never refer to the Watts riots as they're commonly referred to as riots. He called it a rebellion. Mm. And I think, you know, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the 92 uprising. And so I think we've changed our language. Those were reactions to systemic issues that left people and communities behind. And when people react, uh, sometimes that's then when they get the attention of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes public acts of violence are reactions to multi-generational experience of being failed by systems, failed by a health system, failed by a mental health system, failed by a child welfare services system, failed by an education system that have left people with really limited, narrow options. So I think it's important that when we acknowledge that violence is a public health issue, that we really pull back those layers to have a deep, meaningful conversation about that. Mm. You know, there are members of the community who acknowledge that, you know, why is it that my community has disproportionate rates of poor air quality? You know, why is it that my community falls victim to high particulate matter in the air. Well, it's because, you know, these communities are often built or, or, or freeways are built to dissect and bifurcate these communities. And so we're in closer proximity to pollutants. Those issues piled on top, you know, you talk about trauma, lead to circumstances in which we see uh, communities who feel that they have nothing to lose and violent actions are, you know, part of a underground enterprise of people trying to feed themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. And so I always stop and want to have those 
deeper conversations and not allow people to just assume that there are people who are more prone to violent acts. That is not true. We really have to look at the conditions in which we have asked people to live and raise their children. Supervisor, you, you've spent so much of your career working on this, from working at the state level and now you know, with the LA County Board of Supervisors, you know, trying to help people understand that, that violence is an urgent and preventable public health issue. And that's certainly the position that we've taken at the public health department. Mm-hmm. If you could peer into the future, what would you envision for the trauma prevention initiative and this county partnership with community leaders from the Community Action for Peace? Well, you know, the Community Action for Peace is a perfect example of when communities have agency, individual agency, Mm. and when they are honored and respected for the work they do and government comes in to partner and allow them to lead the conversation, as opposed to government coming in saying we have all the answers, do as we say, it creates a different dynamic in the community. I'm really interested in growing leaders from the community. That's my life experience. You know, I grew up watching Sweet Alice Harris, the founder of Parents of Watts. I grew up watching Miss Lillian Mobley and strong community-based women who understood the political process. And quite frankly, I don't mean this term negatively, but how to manipulate it to get services their community needed. Mm -hmm. That's the school of public policy making that I come from. And I'm very proud of that. And so when you think of the, the, the role of CAP and what the Office of Violence Prevention can do in working collaboratively, it's that kind of future, visionary, transformational ideas I have where coming together, we can talk about how we build the kind of community that doesn't appear to be left behind, how we create equity among all communities across L.A. County. Because reality is... I've had the pleasure of representing very diverse communities and diverse people. In my 12 years now of serving in elected office and my entire career serving the public, you know, I've never met anybody that wanted something different. Everybody wants a community that they can be proud of, that they can raise their children in who will thrive, that has amazing parks like Mona Park where we are today Mm -hmm. with tree canopy and open space and a swimming pool, communities where they feel safe and comfortable walking to and from, local markets. Yeah, communities that don't have, aren't food deserts, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that have schools that meet the needs of their family. Everybody wants the same thing. These collaborations, I believe, will help us get there. Okay, now for the toughest question of all. We were talking a little bit before we started As we know, any program, any project like this needs resources and funding for the Office of Violence Prevention and for the Trauma Prevention Initiative expires at the end of this year, at the Mm -hmm. end of 2022. Mm -hmm. What is the board doing to secure funding to ensure the vital services remain available to help prevent violence and to promote healing in communities across the county? Well, I'll answer that a couple of ways. First of all, there have been multiple motions by the board that not only established the Trauma Prevention Initiative, but expanded it. You know, last year, my office authored a motion uh, in coordination with Supervisor Barger that expanded the Trauma Prevention Initiative to the communities of Westmont, West Athens, Willowbrook, where we are today, Unincorporated Compton, and Florence Firestone. 
And so those motions and that, those actions to expand the work is evidence to me that the board has witnessed the positive effects of investing in these kind of holistic strategies. You know, that's, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. And so we are entering budget season. I came to the board as the former chair of the Senate Budget Committee. And so I have always spent my political capital and my spent my time and energy developing a budget expertise, quite frankly, because I know that resources make the difference. That's what took me into electoral politics, quite frankly. And so we're entering the budget season for the Board of Supervisors. And so I think we should, you know, follow the actions of the board when you have a Barger and a Mitchell co-author a motion that says let's expand the initiative into new geographic areas. Clearly, we don't intend to leave this project high and dry, right? We're expanding (laughs) its scope. So, you know, I can't speak, get ahead of the board or ahead of our CEO as we develop the budget, but I think people should just kind of read the writing on the wall. That's great. Senator Holly Mitchell, excuse me, (laughs) board member. (laughs) Holly Mitchell, thank you so much for joining. uh, We just so appreciate your advocacy and support for the programs that we do here at Public Health. And thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Let me just say, as we celebrate Public Health Week, you know, public health is is that kind of program that you don't know you need it till you do. And so my 10 years in the legislature, when we spent so many hours and public resources expanding access to health care services, we frankly didn't keep up with the spending as we should have for public health and the critical role public health plays in keeping us all safe. And I think all of us have a deeper new appreciation of the work of the public health department, the work of Dr. Ferrer and others in leadership. The general public is going to make demands of their elected officials that they want public health adequately resourced. So uh, you are in a powerful position to keep us safe the next public health crisis that we all endure because we know it's coming. Let's hope it's not for a long time, but I would agree with everything you just said. (laughs) Supervisor Mitchell, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. I am joined now by Kevin Orange. He is affectionately known as Twin. He is with Soledad Enrichment Action. He is also the co-founder of Advocates for Peace and Urban Unity. Kevin, it's so nice of you to join the LA Public Health Podcast today. Thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. It's all mine. Kevin, tell me about the work you do uh, with TPI and as a community partner of this effort. Well, right now, I'm the regional coordinator uh, out of Westmont Community. Uh, unincorporated part in the county. Mm-hmm. Um, so I oversee a program where we have ambassadors that respond to incidents, shootings, and all kind of incidents to quell, to make sure that we don't have no re, uh, retaliation or, or reduce any action, acts of violence. How does that work? If you can break that down a little bit for me. So how does your team ensure that there aren't retaliations and well, I first deal with a group that have lived experience. What I mean mm-hmm. by lived experience, most of them come from the backgrounds of gang banging. And so they familiar with the community they grew, that they're working in. And so with the relationships that they have by growing up, it gave them license to operate. It's much easier for them to go in the community when somebody's been shot or some uh, violence taking place to, uh, to find the right person to talk to. You know, because mm-hmm. everybody have some type of leader, somebody have or words that people listen to that can stop the acts of violence to give us time to work. 
That's amazing. What are some of the benefits you've seen? Have What has happened in your community as a result of the work? Yes, yeah, saving lives. You know, yeah. I mean, from the work we do, that's the first and most important thing is, is saving lives. And I've seen it actually work at the, my brother was, my twin brother was killed at a kind of like vigil we was having for one of my oh, friends that was murdered. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And so with, if I would have been in the ignorant state of mind, I could have like kept allowing this to further, you know, to go further. But a, a voice of reason is like, no, this got to stop. I don't want nobody else hurt from my brother's death. I want to use his name for something positive, yeah. not nugget, none, nothing negative. So that created a, 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 different, a different atmosphere in the community. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like calms it where you don't have everybody in the uproar, where you got people like, man, he don't want nobody. You tell him no. And so it starts from there. It starts with us. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier today from the stage with a, with a formal presentation outside, you talked about being called to this work. I, I don't want to yes. put words in your mouth, but you were kind of yes. talking about how, you know, you feel like you're, you're where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Can, can My you? purpose in life. Yeah. Uh, about 2005, I was shot eight times. Wow. And, you know, when I, they didn't think I was going to make it. But when I pulled through, um, the doctor was like, oh, he's lucky. But my mother said, no, he's blessed. And so when I had an out-of-body experience during that whole process, I was outside of myself looking at myself. And I told God, you know, I was ready. You know, if I it's my time, I'm ready. And with them words, he put me back into this body. And I just sat there like, hmm, there's a reason why he allowed me to stay here. And so I found myself, when I was already I found myself doing this work. And so I'd be in certain places, certain meetings, certain words I would hear. It was like, I'm supposed to be here. And then I just started noticing this was my purpose. For everything I went through and, and, and endured, this is where he put me at. And it, that's why I'm so comfortable in this space, because it's where I'm supposed to be. It's my purpose. And I'm so glad you're with me, too, yeah. <laughs> right here today. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's an, an amazing yeah. story. Can you share a little bit about what the Trauma Prevention Initiative means in terms of community empowerment? How does the initiative empower this community, and, and how might it empower other, other communities? It gives us the ability to talk about trauma, something that's been played in our communities that we was afraid to talk about, that we wouldn't talk about. And when I talk about trauma, it's almost like a, 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 a cool word for mental health. You know, and most people mm. don't like talking to therapists. And so we got to find words in order for the people to talk about things. So trauma is one thing about talking about trauma. And a lot of people in our community in these days suffered a lot of trauma and they don't understand how their body react to it or why they think in a certain way. Yeah. But that's, it's supposed to happen that way. Mm-hmm. But if you don't find the spaces to find people with lived experience that been shot or lost a brother, a mother, somebody to gang violence, you can't reach them. And so when they get to questioning me, I'm like, well, I've been through all that. So I can relate to you. And so it help us create these healing circles to where we can find space where we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes people have been holding on to things for 30 years. And there's no reason why we should give ourselves a life sentence. And a life sentence mm-hmm. was in our, in our head, you know. So we got to find ways to talk about it so that we can not be traumatized no more. Are there other Efforts that the Trauma Prevention Initiative is championing in, in your outside of what you've already shared. Um, can you share some of the other solutions that are being implemented by TPI? Well, I think it was it was the creation of the Office of Violent Prevention. You know, it was springboarded from initiatives from of trauma prevention, and so it just it, it, it helped it helped us go to another unincorporated community to help like over here where we are now because we started over there in West Anthem, Westmont, and so we came over to the Willowbrook area. You know, because we, we, and we're unincorporated area, which is like, I always call it the unforgotten city, because we don't have no resources like any of the major cities. We don't have these, 
these um, city council. We don't have the things, so we had to be mm-hmm. strategic in creating these um, spaces. Mm-hmm. Let's say that I'm part of a family, or maybe I myself have experienced violence, uh, and and I'm I'm you know part of your community. What are some of the resources that are available through the the work that you do, or or maybe agencies that are, you're aware of? What's available to me? What what should I do? Well, I think this is what we're trying to like create a model, but to keep in house. But right now we have referrals that we do like with somebody, okay. which is the worst is somebody losing their life. We have um, victims of crime services, which we would refer the people to. And then we would have like, like mentoring groups within our own agencies dealing with young American male adults, as well as the healing circles to where family members, we know they lost a loved one, that we would stay in touch with them, that we would call them back and like actually do it when we part of this healing circle. Cause you realize people, it's funny how people, lose a loved one and at that time they thinking they don't want to lose a, a son or daughter mm-hmm. until they meet somebody another mother who probably lost both of her kids or all her kids of gun violence and so bring them into the atmosphere it kind of like calms them they're like man so mm-hmm. i'm not the only one going this no and so it's a fraternity nobody want to yeah. be a part of but it does exist to where we, we make them start helping the next person helping the next mother that's going to go through the things that they went through and, and just last question. That's great, but it's, it's amazing that you have those healing circles and, and the groups that, so the people don't have to be alone and they yes. understand that they're not alone. Yes. How do I tap into that? Is there a phone number? Is there a place I can go? Like, how would I make that connection? You would call me personally, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to give them a number where it's going, it, it, it's not going, nobody going to answer. Yeah. And you know, when trauma incident can happen anytime. And so it's, so uh, we almost like working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, so we got to find spaces where we can like turn it off mm-hmm. and have somebody else step in those spaces. But yeah, I, they take my number directly, you know, <laughs> and I know how to direct it from there. And, and we can put the, the website for the trauma prevention initiative yes. on the podcast notes so that people can access that and, and get in touch with you very easily. Yes. yes. So Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. And you're such a genuine individual and just the work you're doing is amazing. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. And I'm joined by my friend, Andrea Welsing, who is the director of the Office of Violence Prevention for our department, the Department of Public Health. And Andrea, thanks a lot for coming on the LA Public Health Podcast. It's my pleasure, Steve. It's good to see you again. Andrea, what can you tell us about the mission of the Office of Violence Prevention? The Office of Violence Prevention was established in 2019, Steve, and we went through an extensive process to develop a strategic plan, and it was really county and community partners. So when I tell you about our mission for the office, I really want to share that process of landing on a mission really came from a combination of having conversations with both county partners and community partners and really and also gleans a little bit from the mandate by the board when they established the office so really our mission is to strengthen collaboration capacity and partnerships to prevent multiple forms of violence and to promote healing for all LA County residents, for all LA County communities, and to really do that with an equity lens and a trauma-informed lens. So Mm -hmm. that is the work of this office. Our vision is a violence-free LA County, and Mm -hmm. we hope to achieve that through that mission. That's beautiful. So what are some of the goals? How do you approach achieving the vision of a violence-free LA County? 
It's huge, Steve, yeah. right? It's mm -hmm. huge. And, and really because this office is countywide and it's across multiple forms of violence. So whether it be gun violence, gang violence, domestic violence, sexual violence, all types of violence. So how, how do you do that? It is a huge task. And I mentioned our strategic plan, and really there are five key goal areas in that strategic plan and multiple strategies in each of those goal areas. But really the goals of this office, fivefold, is one, to support children, youth, and families. Two is to foster safe neighborhoods. Three is to create a culture of peace. Four is to build capacity for trauma-informed and healing systems and policies. Uh, mm. And five is really to increase access to community and culturally relevant data. We believe those mm. five goals will get us to where we want to go. And within each of those five goal areas, we have multiple strategies. And we have six implementation priorities for the next three years. Mm. Our work is local and place-based. It is really centered in community, and we want to really listen to the voices of survivors to inform the work that we do. And so the six implementation priorities that align with those five goals are to establish regional violence prevention coalitions, mm. one in each service planning area, our SPA, so we're funding that work so that local coalitions with diverse tables can really look at the issues of violence in their community and come up with an action plan. Two, it's really to expand the Trauma Prevention Initiative, which you heard a little bit about today, mm -hmm. and really that initiative started in South LA in 2016. It funds intervention work, and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. We can dive into that um, more deeply mm -hmm. in a few minutes. Another priority is the trauma-informed and healing-centered work, and really to work with county departments to do that deep-dive work, and especially those county departments that work with children and families. We believe that violence and trauma, the ensuing trauma that can happen as a result of violence, we really have to address that trauma and, and promote healing in order to prevent future violence. Fourth is to create an open data portal um, a fifth is to implement crisis response, which is after a crisis incident has occurred in a community that we respond to the community and connect that community and individuals and families most impacted with resources to again help heal from that crisis event. And then our sixth priority is really shifting the narrative on violence so that we really underscore this message that violence is preventable and predictable. And there is something that we can do. And collectively, we can work together to prevent violence. And so it's really important for us to lift up that message because I think people say it, but sometimes they don't believe it or, you know, really don't understand the public health approach to violence. Mm -hmm. And with the shifting the narrative, we're starting with a project that was a collaboration with the Department of Arts and Culture. Mm -hmm and an, a creative strategist, artist in residence, and where over the past year we've collected 100 stories from individuals across the county who have experienced multiple forms of violence, just to hear their stories of violence, the trajectory of violence across the lifespan. We've taken 50 beautiful photographs, and we're going to collect these together and put them in the book. 
And it's really, we hope that that book and its message underscores both that violence is preventable and predictable and shows opportunities where we can intervene and where we could have intervened earlier to prevent violence from occurring. Mm. So Amazing, amazing work, work you're doing. Incredible. You mentioned the Trauma Prevention Initiative. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. What are some of the key areas? Well, what is the Trauma Prevention Initiative? And then what are some of the key areas that the TPI invests in? Sure. So this was really um, supported and and, um, advocated for back in 2015. The Board of Supervisors allocated funding for the Trauma Prevention Initiative. Initially, it was 685,000, and then an additional 1.3 million was allocated for this work to focus in South LA because it there are communities in South LA with some of the highest rates of violence. And in fact, we had been doing some work there with Dr. Jan King and at the time Dr. Sylvia Prieto, really in response to an LA Times story about Death Alley and how this one Vermont corridor, two mile stretch along the Vermont corridor was um, the place with the highest number of homicides. So, So really it had its beginnings even before there was funding for it. There was funding allocated in 2015. We started, we launched in 2016. And the Trauma Prevention Initiative really is a place-based approach and model for violence prevention and intervention. What we did was we started with the data. We did a criteria-based assessment. We looked at a number of indicators, homicides, violent crime, hospitalizations, and to determine the communities with the highest rates of violence. And those four communities were Westmont, West Athens, Willowbrook, Unincorporated Compton, and Florence Firestone. So because we had limited resources, we really decided to focus those resources on the communities with the highest rates of violence and to fund intervention strategies there. But at the very core of the Trauma Prevention Initiative is community engagement. We spent... I want to say that first year just talking to understand what work was already being done in those communities, who were Mm -hmm. the key stakeholders, where were their gaps, what were the strengths as well as the challenges, and really work together with community to to determine where we should focus our efforts. And so the four key strategies of the Trauma Prevention Initiative are the community engagement and In each TPI community is a community action for peace network made up of community members that come together and really identify the key priorities for that community and how to best promote peace in that community. We fund street outreach and community violence intervention to respond to violent incidents and promote peace. And so we work with credible messengers, interventionists to do that work, people with lived experience. We have fund hospital-based violence intervention, which engages victims of violence in the hospital setting. So often when someone shows up in the hospital uh, after a gunshot or a stab, Mm. you know, there's what they call the golden opportunity, or I might just be misphrasing that a little bit, but it is an opportunity to intervene. And so, again, peers go in and talk to um, um, the patient and try to connect them to services. And then it's really, there's an arm of trauma prevention initiative, which is really about um, building capacity to do the work and supporting the peer interventionists that do the work. So Mm. it is a key priority for this office. 
And with recent board funding, we now have the ability to expand the initiative from those initial four communities in South LA to additional communities throughout the county with high rates of violence. And that includes East LA, mm -hmm. Pomona, Puente Valley in the first district. It includes Hawaiian Gardens and Norwalk in the fourth district. And it includes Antelope Valley, Lancaster, and Palmdale in the fifth district. So we're really excited about that work. Mm. We're using this evidence-based model to go to those new communities. But really, the beauty of the Trauma Prevention Initiative is that it takes that basic model and framework and then works with community members to really create um, strategies so that are unique to the needs of that community. So there's flexibility mm -hmm. and movement within the structure. But I think that's what makes the Trauma Prevention Initiative so both unique and effective. One of the questions I had that just came to mind while you were sharing about that is about the partnerships that are involved as you expand. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's a key driver in the expansion. How do the partners play a role as you build out into these different communities around the county? Right, right. So there's a number of ways. So, so we start with that community engagement effort. We've held now several listening sessions in the new communities to really engage residents and understand. And of course, you know, not everybody comes to the table and, and we have to figure out ways to constantly um, reach additional members of any community, but is there a trust building sort of absolutely, process? Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. That's why I mean, Twin earlier today was mm -hmm. talking about it's a marathon and not a sprint, and it is. It's about relationship building. It is about building trust, and because many communities feel like have a mistrust of government at some level. Mm -hmm. It has really required us to build that trust, and it's not a linear process, right? It, it goes forward, but it really requires that we stay in partnership with community. We take the time to build the relationships that we're committed to being there with or without funding because it's important work to do. Mm -hmm. And so it is a lot of trust building. It's a lot of understanding who the key organizations are that provide services, whether they're the intervention agencies with intervention. Really, that's unique. You have to have license to operate in that community. So that, that's limited to certain entities who can do that work, right, and who have the trust and the license to operate there. It's understanding who are the other partners. And, and I think in the listening sessions, it was really interesting to hear because community residents will tell you who they go to for what, whether it's domestic violence or intervention or some other service and who's been helpful and who's been not. And then I think what's really wonderful and unique about this model and about this local place-based effort is that through funding of hospital-based violence intervention, you have the medical center or the hospital. So for South LA, it's St. Francis and Harbor UCLA, Pomona Valley, it's Pomona Valley Medical Center. In East LA, it's LAC, USC. But I think that healthcare providers can play a critical role in this effort, mm. and it's not just the partnership with the CBO to do the hospital-based violence intervention, but it is really because I think if physicians stand up and lend a voice to this, if social workers stand up and lend a voice to this, if, you know, it really takes the multi-sector approach, and then together, I think we can do this, and I think having the hospitals as a player 
in the work that we do is really important because they are a center in a community and I think they have a role to play. So they are engaged with us in the hospital violence intervention work. I think there's a, a greater role that hospitals can play. And then we also work with other key partners in the community from our county partners like Department of Parks and Rec to law enforcement, our sheriff's department, Department of Arts and Culture, Human Relations Commission, Department of Mental Health, Department of Health Services. There are all those partners that also come to play in, in this work. And so our job really is to help support the coordination and collaboration across efforts to help build a violence-free community. I almost want to end on that, but I just have one more question for you because I keep hearing about these safe community hubs. Can you talk a little bit about them and what are they and... and where are they? Sure. I think that really started, I, I think for me that started when, you know, initially we were doing this work mm. and, Steve, you know, we were even um, when we were in chronic disease, we did this mm-hmm. with, and we were very involved in Parks After Dark. Yeah. And the way we described that work and that partnership with the Department of Parks and Rec is that parks could be safe community hubs, places where where kids could go and people can go and it was a it's a safe zone. In fact, we have a, a campaign parks are safe zones. But parks we really want to designate that within communities there are these safe places where people, young people, youth, children can go and feel safe. Cuz we know that's not always true that they may not always have a safe home feel safe in school, feel safe in the streets. What are those hubs? So we definitely see partners like the Department of Parks and Rec, and Parks is one of those safe community hubs. Libraries are safe community hubs, and they can be great places for access to resources in a safe spot. Schools, DPH has well-being centers. They are creating safe spaces. There's other work around that Dream Resource Center. So there's these safe spaces that we want to create, the goal is eventually you have a safe community where people feel free to live and move mm. and pray and play and and do everything that they need to do and, and feel safe. But as we move towards that dream and, and where we want to go, I th- the beginning steps for us are creating safe spaces in, within communities mm. that are really off limits to violence and our safe zones and safe hubs. And and by hubs, I think we mean not just safe spaces, but places where there are resources and support and opportunities to help, especially our young people thrive mm. and do well and reach their fullest potential. I can't imagine a better person to lead this effort than you, Andrea, my good friend. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for being on the show and uh, just really good to see you and so much appreciate you coming on and sharing about your amazing work. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. It was a true pleasure. Good to see you again. You too. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.